This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. And Labor Day is in our sights. The start of the NFL season, thankfully for us baseball fans in this town, is in our sights. And, and dare I say, the NBA is not too far away. We've got some NBA news on the plate, along with everything else to go through tonight. 1-800-919-3776, the number as always. I'll be here till 10 o'clock. We've got both local teams in action. You just heard Kevin Winters update at the top of the hour with the Yanks and the Rays scoreless heading to the bottom of the second inning. They are in St. Petersburg, a three-game weekend series. Garrett Cole on the mound for the Yankees after he got roughed up in his last start against the Red Sox at the stadium last weekend. The Mets are home. They'll start things in about 10 minutes against the Angels with Kodai Senga, their ace on the mound, against Patrick Sandoval of the Angels. This is the point of the Yankees' season. And look, we've dissected their struggles and their problems every which way. And we'll continue to do so, although at some point it will taper off, just like it did with the Mets. We spent pretty much the month of June and most of the month of July dissecting everything that had gone wrong with the Mets. And then they waved the white flag. They traded away five or six important pieces of their team, including a couple of future Hall of Famers. They restocked their farm system, which was great. We talked about that for a couple of days. And then we moved on. They put up a little bit of a fight. They won seven out of nine at one point. They came back to earth against the best team in baseball the last couple of days, the Braves. But really because of the way they played in the first half of the season and all of the struggles that they went through, once you fall out of contention and once each and every one of those struggles has been dissected every which way, you really do cease to be a story. And that is the neighborhood that the Mets have resided in pretty much since the trade deadline. And the Yankees are very close to moving into that neighborhood themselves. Now, the Yankees were still a relevant topic of conversation as recently as 48 hours ago when they were on their longest losing streak since 1982, when they had a chance to equal their longest losing streak since 1913, something that they were able to avoid on Wednesday night. But the Yankees are heading in that direction as well. So what's left for the Yankees? If you are a Yankee fan, and it's funny, Both teams, and I joked about this a couple of weeks ago when it started to become clear. We've known for a while that the Mets were not destined for the playoffs this year. And when it started to become increasingly clear that the Yankees weren't going to the postseason either, I joked how the PR departments for both teams are working overtime just to try to get fans into the ballpark. And if you've watched Jess or seen the promos for the Yankees, It seems like they're having a giveaway or a promotion every single game. I mean, it's amazing. Every single game, they seem to be giving something away. And as far as the Mets go, yesterday's announcement, which was a great announcement, the next year, numbers of Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry will be retired at Citi Field, the sixth and seventh Mets players in their franchise history to receive that honor. If you heard both players talk, and they were each on the Michael K. show this week, Daryl today, Doc yesterday, if you heard them speak about the honor, they both alluded to the fact that they've known this was in the works for quite some time. Coincidental that it was announced this week, there's not much else to get fans excited about. So that has gotten fans excited about the Mets for 24 or 48 hours. We've been talking about it. I Heard I played some clips of Doc Gooden's interview with Michael K. yesterday. Uh, we'll probably do the same with Daryl Strawberry today. 
just anything to drum up some excitement. Because unfortunately, like I said, at this point in the season, there's not a lot to get excited about for either team. So for a team like the Yankees, and this is very unfamiliar territory for them, to be pretty much out of the pennant race, and it's not even September yet, it's not even Labor Day yet, the Yankees, since the strike of 1994, have missed the playoffs four times. But in those four years, when the calendar turned to September, they still believed, and rightfully so in each of those four instances, that they were a hot run away, a six out of seven away, an eight out of ten away from getting back into playoff contention. They can run off eight wins in their next ten games here and still be about five games back. It's a pipe dream for the Yankees right now, so this is really unfamiliar territory. So the focus shifts to individual accomplishments, and that's why tonight's a big start for Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is the one Yankee who, from start to finish this season, has done his job. And you can't question it. And for the most part, 2020, 21, 22, 23, it's his fourth season with the Yankees. He got off to a rocky start just in terms of 2020, his first season was the pandemic. So it was a 60-game regular season. He made 10 starts. It was up and down, and there were no fans in the building to watch him pitch in person. 2021, he was good during the regular season, but he had one fatal flaw that year, and that was the wild card start in Fenway Park against the Red Sox where he couldn't get out of the third inning, and the Yankees' season ended that night. And even though that was a Yankees team that had fallen apart the latter half of the season and barely squeaked into the playoffs. Because of Cole's performance that night, he received a lot of the ire from the Yankee fans. So now all of a sudden, this guy got slapped with the reputation that he's not a big game pitcher and he can't come through in the big spot. And he's not the ace the Yankees thought they were getting. So what did he do last year? He pitched really well in the regular season again. He's pitched really well in every single regular season. And was he lights out in the playoffs last year? No, but he was good in the playoffs last year. In fact, his one bad start against Houston in Game 3 of the ALCS in the Yankees' ultimate uh, sweep of that series, getting swept in that series, his one bad start, he was actually pretty good and got victimized by his defense. So still, after three years, there were those who didn't believe in Garrett Cole, and that brought us to this year. And this year he's been fantastic. And he started the All-Star game for the American League, the first time he's done that in his entire career. And up until last week, he was the clear frontrunner for the Cy Young Award in the American League. And he's never won the Cy Young Award. He's knocked on the door a couple of times, did it in Houston, did it in Pittsburgh. He's never won the Cy Young Award in his career. And that's a big deal. And that's probably the biggest thing that the Yankees and Yankee fans have to look forward to for the rest of the season. And Yankee fans may call me up and say, I don't care if Garrett Cole wins the Cy Young Award or not. And my response to you, if that's how you feel as a real Yankee fan, my response to you would be, why not? I think it's exciting when a player on your team wins an MVP, wins a Cy Young, wins a Rookie of the Year Award. But that's the point of the season we're at with the Yankees. It's all about individual accomplishments. I mean, Cole's season has been terrific. 10-4 and record, a 3.03 earned run average coming into tonight, 170 strikeouts and 160 and one-third innings. But he got beat up in his last start. His numbers looked a lot better than the ones I just named for you about a week ago. But last weekend against the Red Sox, he gave up six runs in four innings. He allowed a grand slam. He allowed a two-run home run. That's still 
is the worst thing about Cole is his propensity to give up a home run. So he's looking for a rebound start tonight against the Rays, and it's scoreless in the top of the third inning. And then there's Aaron Judge. Now, Aaron Judge, and people kind of started paying attention to this after his three-home run game on Wednesday. Aaron Judge now has 28 home runs. He had three on Wednesday. He hit another one yesterday. And that is good for fifth in the American League. And when that was reported, I mean, not that it had to be reported. It was right there for anyone to see. But with the season that Judge has had, the fact that he's missed basically two full months worth of baseball games, the fact that despite that he was still fifth in the American League in home runs, I think blew a lot of people away. And it also reminded people that Aaron Judge is a great player and can be the centerpiece of a really good team. It's just not working out that way this year. But when the Yankees were in the midst of their nine-game losing streak, Judge was struggling too. And he came up a couple of times during that streak, late in games with runners on base with a chance to give the Yankees a lead, pull them even with the opposition, and he didn't come through. And he struck out a couple of times in big spots. He was struggling. It happens. It happens to everyone. But also, this last week, and... The attention that is brought to his home run total, which now stands at 28 despite missing 54 games, is a reminder to people of how terrific a player Aaron Judge is. Now that comes with a caveat as well, because we had a caller last night who did point out, correctly so, that Aaron Judge still has not had that one big seminal moment in the postseason. And if you think about it, he's been in the postseason. He won't be in it this year, but he's been in the postseason every single year. 2017, when he was Rookie of the Year, he went to the ALCS. 2018, they lost to the Red Sox in the ALDS. 2019, back in the ALCS. I mean, he's had home runs. He's had good games. But, you know, he hasn't had the Mr. November home run by Derek Jeter or the Jeffrey Mayer home run by Derek Jeter. Moments like that. If I say to you, top of your head, if you're a diehard Yankee fan, you watch all these games, what is Aaron Judge's seminal moment? You have to think about it. I have to think about it. And in fact, I, I don't have one. He hasn't had one yet. Now, you may think that this is making excuses for the guy. It's not entirely his fault. If you're going to compare him to a captain of a previous generation, in this case, Derek Jeter, Jeter was surrounded by guys who could beat you. Bernie and O'Neal and Posada and Tino Martinez and on and on and on. Alfonso Soriano eventually, Chuck Knobloch, all right? Derek Jeter was surrounded by guys who could beat you also, just like Derek Jeter could. So you had to, you, you couldn't be careful pitching to Jeter. You couldn't be careful pitching to anyone in those Yankees lineups. That is not the same for Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge hovers so high above the rest of his teammates in terms of their performance. And it's the, the gap between Judge and the rest of this Yankees team seems to grow by the year. So you can be more careful uh, to Judge. Now, this is not to make excuses for Judge. At some point, if you're going to be the highest paid player on the team, the highest paid player in the history of the franchise, one of the faces of the sport, you do have to overcome that. The truly, truly great players do. Judge is not a finished product. That's the next step for his development as one of the greats of the game. And unfortunately, because of the Yankees' performance this year and because of his lengthy absence, he's not going to get that opportunity for any of those moments this season. But if you look at his regular season, and this is where the conversation started, 
regarding Judge. He's got 28 home runs. The team has 35 games left. I mean, by the end of this season, Judge could put up another 35 home run season. He could put up a 40 home run season. He's probably not going to play all 35 games. In fact, I would strongly recommend he doesn't, especially once the Yankees fall out of playoff contention. But we know how hot this guy can get when he goes on one of his streaks. He can rip off five home runs in a week. So despite missing 54 games already, he could finish with 35 home runs, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 home runs this season, which would be absolutely incredible. But that's all you have to look forward to for the Yankees for the rest of the season. Anthony Volpe is another one. You want to see him finish the season on a high note. And it looks like he is. He's probably playing his best baseball right now compared to at any other point during this season. There's a very good chance he's going to be a 2020 man as a rookie. His power numbers, home runs, and RBIs are eerily similar to those of Giancarlo Stanton. Now, I know Volpe has had more at-bats, and Volpe has played in more games, but come on. If you said at the beginning of the season that Volpe's home runs and RBIs were going to pretty much mirror those of Giancarlo Stanton's, that would be pretty good for the kid, and it would also be a disaster for Stanton, and that's what it is. It's pretty good for Volpe. Despite all of his struggles and all of his ups and downs, the fact that he's still in there and they never pulled him, they never lost faith in him, they a couple of times forced him to go through some really long slumps where it looked like he might not make it through. He's made it through a couple of times, including this most recent time. But for the Yankees, they're at the point in the season at 61 and 66 with 35 games to play, including tonight's. They're at the point in the season where it's all about the individual performance and largely for the Mets as well. Now, there are a couple of guys on each team that are playing for jobs that are auditioning for the rest of the season. The Yankees have already made it clear guys like Isaiah Kiner-Falefa aren't going to play the rest of the way. They're going to give those reps to uh, an Oswald Peraza. He's at third base again tonight. Emerson Pereira, who got his first major league hit yesterday, is in the starting lineup in left field today. Volpe's going to continue to get a long look. And that's how it is for the rest of the season. So is there a lot to get excited for? No. The biggest thing is Garrett Cole and his pursuit of the Cy Young Award. And again, winning the Cy Young Award, if he's on your team, I think it's pretty cool. The last Yankees Cy Young Award winner, I think, was I think it was Roger Clemens in 2001. Unless I'm missing somebody obvious between then and now, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. Either way, that's the biggest thing you have to look forward to the rest of the year, which is another way of saying thank God for football. Now, we're going to get into a couple of other things. This injury to Shohei Otani, just how significantly this changes everything we were expecting about the Major League Baseball offseason. What does this do for the free agency market? What does it do for Shohei Otani's future? Does this increase the likelihood he could return to the Angels? Does this increase the likelihood that he could come to New York and perhaps be wearing a Mets uniform next season? We'll get into the football. We'll preview Giants-Jets tomorrow night. Aaron Rodgers finally takes the field. And I'll have some NBA thoughts as well. We want to hear from you at 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Worth watching. Shohei Otani is there. And, of course, you won't see him on the mound for the rest of the year. And there's a very good chance you won't see him on the mound at all next year. And, unfortunately, there's a chance you might never see him on the mound again with the uh, torn ulnar collateral ligament 
in his right elbow that he was diagnosed with earlier this week. Otani has said that he's going to finish the season and continue to be in the Angels lineup every night, which he is tonight at City Field. He's the designated hitter. He's batting second, and he walked his first plate appearance as the Angels and the Mets are just underway and scoreless there. The Otani injury, he and his impending free agency have really kind of been the big elephant in the room this entire Major League Baseball season. Right around the trade deadline when teams like the Yankees or teams like the Mets, teams like the Texas Rangers were looking for ways to bolster their chances, bolster their chances of being contenders in the playoffs and beyond, Otani was a name that was thought to be available until the Angels went on about a six or seven game winning streak just before the all-star, or excuse me, just before the trade deadline. And then team owner Artie Moreno pulled Otani off the trade market and they reversed course. They traded away a lot of their prospects to try to bolster up their chances of making a run at it. And unfortunately, it's gone terribly wrong for both the Angels and for Otani. For the Angels, they've struggled since then. In fact, they're behind the Yankees in the standings right now at 61 and 67. Almost as soon as they made that decision to go for it, they fell into the doldrums. And then this Otani news is, first of all, it's awful for the guy because you were... Excited at the prospect of seeing Otani in a different location next year. Now, his exploits have uh, been well-documented, but I still don't think at this point, because he plays on the West Coast and because he doesn't even play for the glamour franchise in his own market, which is the Dodgers instead of the Angels, that people really have not had an opportunity to see this guy shine on a stage like... New York or Boston or Chicago or the other team in Los Angeles, the team in Los Angeles, the L.A. Dodgers, or even the San Francisco Giants. You know, the Angels aren't one of those high-wattage organizations. And a perfect example of that is the guy that had been their best player and the best player in the sport for the good part of a decade also wasn't out there in Mike Trout. So you were excited to see Otani change locations, which is probably what was going to happen. You were curious to see just how much money he was going to get because this was unprecedented. I mean, we saw Aaron Judge go through his negotiations last offseason after his historic 62 home run campaign. What kind of contract would he garner? It ended up being a total value of $360 million over nine years. And you look at the largest total value contracts in Major League Baseball, Judge is third right now at 360 mil. Mookie Betts is in the middle of a $365 million contract, although Judge's average annual value is $10 million more than Mookie Betts. And then Mike Trout is in the middle of a $426 million contract. But again, Judge has a higher annual value because the contracts of Trout and Betts are over the course of 12 years, while Judge's is a nine-year contract because of his age. So if Judge was worth 360 and Trout was worth 425 as, you know, quote-unquote just hitters, what would Otani have been worth, who is essentially as good a hitter as either one of those guys, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse, but right in that same neighborhood. And then, of course, you throw on the fact that he's a borderline Cy Young candidate on the mound. 
$400 million was almost assured. Could it have gone to 500 mil? Could it have gone to $600 million? Would Steve Cohen, in his desperation and frustration, and with the deepest pockets in baseball, after what his team has gone through this year and the disappointment of that, would he have reversed course again and offered him a $600 million 10-year contract? Who knows? I mean, think about it. You were getting two players for the price of one. You get a guy who takes the ball every six days and gives you a very, very high level of performance. And you also get a guy who's a 50 home run hitter at the plate. This truly is unprecedented. So what was he going to be worth? Well, unfortunately, for those of us who are curious, unfortunately, mostly for Shohei Otani, we may never find out. Because as he ventures into free agency this offseason, I can't imagine a scenario where he is paid as a two-way star. Because right now, uh, he's not a two-way star. He is a one-way star. He's a hitting star. So now he has to, as far as I'm reading this landscape, if he wants a long-term contract this offseason, he kind of has to swim in the waters of Aaron Judge and Mookie Betts and Mike Trout, you know, in that 30 to 35 to 40 million dollar a year range, as opposed to the 50 million dollars a year that was being speculated, or maybe even the 60 million dollars a year that was being wildly speculated. Because why would you pay him for a two way star? He's not a two way star right now. Now, if you're Otani, you're still going to have some leverage. Because I'm not, I mean, certainly I'm not. Who am I to do this? But I, I don't think the door is closed on Otani pitching again. We he's, he's in the process of getting a second opinion, first of all, on the torn UCL. And then after that, the discussion will happen over how to best repair it. If it's a severe torn ligament, then surgery is most likely going to be required. If it's a mild tear, remember Masahiro Tanaka, his fellow countryman, came over to New York, was lights out his first year as a Yankee, and he tore a ligament in his elbow, and they had to shut him down, and he never had surgery. He rehabbed it, he rested it, and he was able to pitch through it using that method. So that is possible depending on the severity of the tear, and Tanaka was a terrific pitcher his entire time. I mean, Yankee fans, remember, every time that guy took the mound... You had it in the back of your mind that this guy is like one snap away from the rest of that you see that the rest of that ligament tearing, and that's it. His season's over, possibly his career's over. But guess what? It never happened. He pitched really well through 2020, and then he went back to Japan. So it is possible, and it's been done before. But first and foremost, they have to determine the severity of the tear. But this is part of a larger conversation in baseball. This is part of a larger conversation in sports. All right, There were a lot of teams sitting around waiting for this season to end, salivating at the prospect of sitting across a negotiating table with Otani and offering him the world because he was going to come in and be the savior for their franchise, and he was going to be the biggest star in their city. And these executives and general managers and team owners had stars in their eyes thinking about what this guy could do for their franchises. 
And that is a very shaky and tenuous business plan if you are running a professional sports organization. And what I mean by that is relying on the free agent market as the quote-unquote silver bullet to turn around your franchise. And this just shows how risky of a path that is to take because in the blink of an eye, everything can change. And now all of those general managers and owners, and granted, only one of them was going to get them anyway. All right, but at this point in the season, they're all dreaming of getting him, and they're all thinking about the possibilities of what can we offer him? How can we bring him here? How is he going to turn around everything for us? And then in the blink of an eye, that's off the table. That is all off the table. And that's a very, very risky way to run your organization. All right, we'll get some reaction to this. We'll continue to follow along the Yanks and the Rays, along with Otani, who is in town with the Angels, taking on the Mets at City Field. And your call's at 1-800-919-3776. On this Friday night is Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is, is the Pat O'Keefe Show. My goodness. Now, they did start a little earlier. They started at 640 tonight, but they're scoreless top of the fifth. Garrett Cole looks strong. Uh, so does Zach Eflin for the Tampa Bay Rays, who are wearing their throwback Devil Ray uniforms. He's already struck out eight batters through four innings. So once again, the Yankees' offense not putting up much resistance. Before we open up the phone lines, some breaking news out of the NFL. The San Francisco 49ers have traded Trey Lance to the Dallas Cowboys wow. in exchange for a fourth-round draft pick. So Lance, earlier this week, was demoted to the third-string quarterback. Remember, last year he was the starting quarterback, got injured in the opener, didn't really distinguish himself in preseason or in that first game. He was gone for the rest of the season. Jimmy Garoppolo got his job back, put the 49ers in playoff contention until he got hurt, and they had to turn to Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the last round, the seventh round, of the 2022 NFL Draft, and the guy never lost a start until the start in which he got hurt, which happened to be the NFC Championship game in Philadelphia, and the 49ers season ended there. But Purdy appears to be recovered. They signed Sam Darnold to be the backup. He beat out Lance for the backup quarterback position. So Trey Lance, who was never able to get on solid footing in San Francisco, and boy, what a disaster that transaction turned out to be. You know, that just shows the great and the awful all-in-one of the 49ers organization because they gave up three first-round draft picks and more to move up to number three and draft Trey Lance, who had made, I think, one or two college starts, I believe, at North Dakota State or South Dakota State. It was a Dakota. He was a... One double-A football player who had a ton of potential and a ton of promise. By the way, still does. This was two years ago that this happened. And when he finally took over the starting quarterback job, he didn't really distinguish himself. He got injured. When he tried to get it back this year, he didn't play well again. And the 49ers are a team that's built to win right now. With Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and their defense, and they said, Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, you did just fine last year. We need to win now, and we're going to eat our mistake, our huge mistake, 
But then on the same token, they're still, if you ask me who are the candidates, who are the favorites in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl, I go one, Philadelphia, and I go two, San Francisco. And after that, to me, it's not even close. I don't even know who the third team would be. Maybe Dallas. But there are clearly two teams ahead of everybody. And one of them is the 49ers, despite this catastrophic trade that they made to acquire Trey Lance, to draft Trey Lance in the first place. So they cut their losses. Jerry Jones swoops in. And then, of course, this leads to a whole other conversation about the Dallas Cowboys and the future there of Dak Prescott as their starting quarterback. As DJ LeMahieu breaks the scoreless tie with a solo home run to left field with two outs in the top of the fifth inning. So the Yankees lead the Rays one to nothing. All right. All right, Cole, there's your run. Make it stand up. DJ's 10th home run of the year went 393 feet. So very interesting trade between the 49ers and the Cowboys. 49ers cutting their losses. I don't think it benefited anybody to have Trey Lance remain with the organization after he went from being the starting quarterback opening day last year to relegated to third-string quarterback duties this year. And now Dallas is hedging their bets on whether or not Dak Prescott is their quarterback of the future beyond this season. It's Dak's job for now, but there have been some questions about Dak's long-term sustainability as their starting quarterback. He signed that monster contract. He's never taken that next leap to be one of the top, top quarterbacks in the NFL. He's good. He's fine. He's not a bad quarterback. He's won a lot of games. But he, where's his moment? Where's his game? Where has he distinguished himself? And if you're the Cowboys, they have been knocking on the door for years now. A perennial playoff team, a division championship team several times, but they haven't even been able to get to the NFC Championship game with Dak Prescott as their starting quarterback. So really interesting developments there. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 1-800-919-3776. See what's going on this Friday evening. Let's start off with Tommy in New Hyde Park. Tommy, how are you? How you doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you, Tommy? Uh, with that news about Dallas, um, I think they're not thinking much about Prescott. What do you think about that? But I want to talk about Otani going to the mess. Yeah, I'll let you hop in on Otani. I, I think they're hedging their bets with Prescott. I think it's Prescott's job for now. I think this is a developmental year for Trey Lance, and I think he is going to be groomed to be their quarterback of the future. He's still on his rookie deal. He's going to be a cheaper option unless Dak Prescott absolutely blows things out of the water this year uh, or unless Trey Lance really is irreparable as an NFL starting quarterback. I think there's a very good chance that this is Dak Prescott's final year in Dallas. Wow, really? That's final year, yeah? Could be. Could be. Uh, Can I talk about Otani with the Mets? Yeah, absolutely. You think they're going to go for him now after his arm? He can't fish anymore. He's done. Or you think they're going to pick him for his hitting or is he going to be mentally ill from that and all that kind of crap they put in there? I don't think he'll be mentally ill. Tommy, thanks for the call. I think the Mets are still interested in him. I think any team is still interested in him. I think if if you, I don't think any team lost interest in Shohei Otani because if Shohei Otani was a free agent this whole time just as a hitter, just as a 45, 50 home run guy, he would receive top dollar on the market. No question about it. 
And that's what he is now. So he's still in line to receive top dollar on the market, but top dollar is different. Top dollar now is no longer, you know, this mythical number that we haven't yet seen in the history of baseball free agency or any other American sport. You got to cut it almost in half, not half. You got to cut a third off of it. You got to cut 40% off of it. If he was going to get, you know, 300, or excuse me, if he was going to get 500 million, you got to bring that down to 350 million. And he's still worth that. This could play, I was thinking about this, this could play into the advantage of Steve Cohen. Because, look, he's been very, Otani's been very tight-lipped about what his intentions are. What we do know is that when he first came to this country, he said he did not want to play east of the Mississippi River. That's why the Yankees really thought they had a shot at him, and then when they heard that, they knew they were out of the running. So he went to Los Angeles, and he played for the Angels. We haven't heard him um, share his thoughts on geography really since then. So there's still a speculation that he doesn't want to come to an Eastern team, but he hasn't actually said that. People are just going by what he initially said when he came to this country. I don't know if it was 2017 or 2018, whenever he first came to the major leagues and he expressed his desire to be out West. Now, has he changed his mind? I don't know. And the other part of this always was, would Steve Cohen throwing an ungodly amount of money at him change his mind? Because let's be honest, it would be Cohen. It would be the Mets. He's got the deepest pockets. He's got the most money. And then after what happened to the Mets this year, the disappointment of this year, they are in not desperation mode because I do like the moves they made at the trade deadline to fortify their farm system, but they would be the one team with the money to spend most likely to make a splash. But if you're competing with everybody else for Otani as a two-way star and you want to blow them out of the water financially, you've got to come up with $700 million, $600 million. Now, if he's not a two-way star and you're only paying him as a power-hitting, slugging, designated hitter, what have you, and you still want to blow everybody out of the water, you can blow them out of the water with 450 or $500 million. So Cohen can still, with his millions, blow everybody else out of the water, but it would save him $200 million off the totality of the contract. Now, it's disappointing because you don't get that guy to pitch. At least we don't think so. That hasn't been said yet either. This is all speculation. But that's one scenario where it could work in favor of the Mets because the number, if it's lower, it gives a guy like Steve Cohen more of an opportunity to blow everybody else out of the water. If they're all offering $350 million and he comes in at five hundred, do you really love the West Coast that much? It's a difficult decision. We'll see. But, yeah, I do think the Mets are still interested, and they absolutely should be still interested in Shohei Otani. He's one of the – take away the pitching. He's one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. We're going to have more reaction on this blockbuster NFL trade. Trey Lance to the Dallas Cowboys in exchange for a fourth-round draft pick. Big things going on in Big D. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York.